when you're at a startup and an investor says no, you shouldn't fire an email off saying, well, thanks, you know, fuck you, you're not giving us money. <laughs> you know, maybe you don't respond to them for a week or two because I guarantee you, no matter what problem you have in a startup as an entrepreneur, if you sleep on it for 72 hours, it will look completely different. Reaction and response is a very good lesson for entrepreneurs. And the, the second would be control and influence. Um, I choose infl to influence my teams. I don't control them. I don't dictate things to them. People become a startup founder. They become egotistical. Hey, I'm the founder, blah, 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 whatever. Maybe they get in a couple of magazines. It gets worse. <laughs> um, you should never control any system of innovation. You will literally choke the life out of it. Welcome to 14 Minutes of SaaS, the show where you can listen to the stories and opinions of founders of the world's most remarkable SaaS scale-ups. And so to the last episode of our series with Whirly, and the advice kept on coming. He essentially feels that founders need to control themselves more than they need to control team members that ego can take over and that it's difficult for a lot of founders to let go. He feels they need to inspire, collaborate with them, and yes, make some decisions, but when control becomes an overarching thing, innovation goes out the window. And we continued our conversation for two days solid after this. It was really a pleasure to chat to Whirly. So you have um, such a varied uh, daily, uh, you, you such varied things to do because you're you're on these trips. You're, <laughs> you're you you got a bit of a meet. You've quite a bit of a media presence. You speak. Um, uh, so I think it, would, it probably would be difficult to describe your day as a routine. But you must have certain things that you do on a daily basis uh, to be so productive. Are there three or four things you do regularly, oh. or to keep your or to keep mind and body together? No. <laughs> my wife, well, well, that's not true. I have, a, I have a routine at night. I cool the room to 69 degrees. I take a hot bath, which I don't like hot baths. My wife's yeah, bath. very Japanese. So my, my wife's bath is so hot after two hours of sitting by the time <laughs> I get done working that I let half of it out and fill it with cold water. And <laughs> it's still hot. But, um, but I take a hot bath, and I have a bed that has uh, air conditioning in it doesn't mean it makes it cold, but it makes it seven degrees cooler than the room is okay. basically what it does. Okay. Um, and I have a cooling pillow, you know, how your head yeah, gets all hot. Yeah. So I have a, a bedtime ritual I've developed with my wife that I like a lot. That's um, really weird. When I was a kid, I used to always love going to the other side of the bed when it got cold and then back and forth. Yeah, because I don't it's know cool. I, I don't know why. I'm the same way. Yeah. So, 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 that, so that's been, you know, so that's one thing. Um, the thing I don't do is relax enough. You know, I actually need to work. I don't meditate. I don't do yoga. I don't do enough of things that would be um, arguably beneficial. Okay. Because uh, it's not how my brain works, right? Yeah. But I, um, but I have been, you know, working that in. I'm my anniversary is coming up on July 13th, and uh, we're taking a vacation, and uh, I'm going to potentially be drunk a good majority of the time. That sounds like um, a great vacation. And just <laughs> relax. Switching the phone off for a while? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of the time? No, yeah, yeah, seriously. Well, the thing is, you know, I think this is the first time I'm at a startup in this early a phase that I'll be able to relax that much. Yeah. Because I've done a lot on what I need to do for the company, mm -hmm. and I have a team that I trust 110%, like, unequivocally trust them 
and and being gone for a week is not going to make me I'm not going to I don't have to worry about this or that. Um, I haven't always had that. I think this is really the first time that I feel exceedingly comfortable with that. That's great. And that doesn't mean I'm letting it on autopilot. I talk to my CTO every day that I'm here, but for a week, uh, you know, I think he's also going on vacation. Um, and uh, so, you know, a couple of us will take a little bit of a vacation. It's been an incredibly busy year. I've flown over 100,000 miles wow. in the U.S. domestic only, <laughs> plus went to Paris, plus went to a couple of other overseas trips, this sure. trip to Germany, I'll be going yeah. to Japan. So we've been working very hard, <laughs> and where normally I wouldn't take a vacation, I think there's, I think I get a week. Um, so I'm pretty, I feel pretty, pretty comfortable <laughs> with that. And uh, with the results we're getting, hopefully we have some big announcements, some more partnerships, some more things. We have our initial customers uh, that we're bringing on that we'll figure out what the right timing is to announce them. Uh, then I'm feeling, feeling very good about disconnecting for a week. And I think it's important for entrepreneurs to disconnect. And I think meditation is very important. Uh, but for me, writing code, being creative, writing, uh, I just wrote a piece for a, a big tech publication that hopefully will come out in the next week or two Great. on quantum. Doing things like that, to me, that's very therapeutic. Like I try to explain it more. If it's like, yeah. that's when I'm in this, I'm not stressed about it. I'm, I'm yeah. this great mental state. It's, it's a different type of creativity. Like, yeah, it's, it's almost like meditation. And you're expressing right? yourself. Yeah. It's like I'm yeah. Bob Ross painting a happy little quantum yeah. cloud, except I'm <laughs> you know, well, actually, when you speak, you're something. almost meditating because you're reflecting on things and you're relaxed of course. there. Uh, um, you're good company. Like you're, you're, you're not. Uh, you're obviously not stressed, and uh, it's almost like you are meditating, as you know, to a degree. Uh, while we're doing this, one more question for you, um, for any pre-entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs that might be listening in. Uh, actually, I think you've almost answered it already, but I always ask this. What's the one or two things you'd, you you might mention to them um, if it hasn't been mentioned already? Or three or four things? Two things. Understand the difference between reaction and response. One is voluntary and the other is not. Mm. When you react, I always use Apple as an example until they send me some letter or something and tell me not to do it. Steve Jobs and Tenegate didn't talk to the press for a week, right? Wow. Like two weeks, three weeks. Yeah. And we said, oh, Apple's over, blah, blah, Then came, that was a response. Then came out and said, here's my $100 million antenna facility. Here's all the work I've done. Here's other funds to do this. Mm. I'm sorry, I fixed all the phones. Now I have to fix the entire network too. You're welcome, right? Amazing yeah. response. A little bit of a reality distortion field, but an amazing response <laughs> to the problem. By comparing contrast, Tim Cook, by the way, which I think is the responsible CEO thing to do. I'm a fan of Tim's. This is not meant to yeah. diminish sure. him in any way. But when they had problems in China with the workers, immediately there's a letter, this and that. They actually created a little bit more criticism. Uh, and maybe they could have waited four or five or six weeks yeah. and then responded. But Apple's also in two different situations there. I mean, look at what Tim is having to manage. They have you know, almost $300 billion in cash in the bank, <laughs> and they have investors who want them to give them the cash, and they have, the, where does the company go from now, what's the next product, yeah. and, you know, so it's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. It's huge. <laughs> yeah, it's a, you know, <laughs> he has a few things on his plate. Um, and I'm amazing fan of his. But, but that's a, a good difference between reaction and response, right? Um, when innovation happens in a company, 
and somebody brings an idea and says, I think we should do this crazy thing, mm -hmm. you're, you shouldn't say, you know, here's all the reasons we can't. You should provide the, the opportunity, the space for that innovation to thrive. When you're at a startup and an investor says no, you shouldn't fire an email off saying, well, thanks, you know, fuck you, you're not giving us money. <laughs> You know, maybe you don't respond to them for a week or two because I guarantee you, no matter what problem you have in a startup as an entrepreneur, if you sleep on it for 72 hours, it will look completely different. You know, yeah. maybe even wait a week or two weeks. I know I could have taken that advice a few times. Everybody, everybody feels like they have to do things immediately. You know, I just invested in a company and did a press release two days later, and I was like, how could you even service that? I spent months planning when I would do my press releases and spent weeks working with a PR team that has 20 people on it to implement it and to be very selective and like we only want to be in these few spaces, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, th that is a reaction and response, a very good lesson for entrepreneurs. And the, the second would be control and influence. Um, I choose inf to influence my teams. I don't control them. I don't dictate things to them. People become a startup founder, they become egotistical. Hey, I'm the founder, blah, 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 whatever. And maybe they get in a couple of magazines, it gets worse. <laughs> um, you should never control any system of innovation. You will literally choke the life out of it. Um, it's more like, you know, you don't give them rails to go on, you give them a nice big bounding box. If they start getting close to the edge, maybe you mentioned and they go over the edge, maybe you gently kind of influence the back end. You don't say, stop this, you have to go and you have to do this. Yeah. You say, oh, that's interesting, you know, my concern is that this may take us too far in this direction, here may be some problems. What do you think about that? Right? You and make then you've converse. got a conversation rather That's than exactly an argument. Right. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. right. And you're open to that conversation. You can't say that, like you're not setting them up in some logical trap to say, aha, <laughs> that's why I'm the founder and I'm the boss, I'm right. Yeah. You're, you're doing it to provide the room because you may learn something if you, if you listen you know, to the people that, that work for you. Um, you know, and if I had a third thing, it would be that. It would be very open to listening to the people that you hire, because you should be hiring people much smarter than yourselves. Sure. So by default, you should be listening to what those people's opinions are, not using them as a tool to implement your opinions. Um, and you should be very open to take, you know, I, I said taking risk is the key to being successful. Part of that risk is you have an idea and your CTO disagrees with you. You're not the CTO. So maybe you do what he does, and maybe it doesn't work out. Maybe uh -huh. the risk doesn't pan out. But I would be willing to bet the majority of the time, be that six out of 10, or maybe nine out of 10, or 10 out of 10, sure. taking that risk, if you've hired right, and you've hired people smarter than you, taking that risk on that person, even regardless of what your gut is telling you, is going to drive you in the right, right direction, right? So you know, understand the difference between reaction and response, understand the difference between control and influence, and understand how to actually mitigate risk. You don't mitigate risk by using your opinion over that of your employees. <laughs> you, you know, you mitigate risk by saying, okay, let's, um, mitigating risk is a collaborative process, you know? And you have to sometimes, I mean, and if you take your CTO's opinion and he fails, you have to be able to do your role as a founder and support him and say, hey, I took that risk with you and this is what we're going to do now and, and kind of, you know, make it easier to, to get over and move on. Uh, because mistakes are made at startups a hundred times a day, and, and it will always be that way. And anybody who tells you anything, oh, things are great, they're amazing, blah, 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 um, you know, they're lying to your face <laughs> because that's not how startups work at all. Yeah, yeah. You know, things are, are not great at Strangeworks. Um, maybe everybody else comparatively thinks that they're amazing. We've raised the money, I get the kick-ass team, we're already releasing with this and that. 
But in there are a thousand challenges for, for my team and I. And by the way, they'll never be great. That is not how startups work. Yeah. It is a very, it is the hardest job you can have. It is a job that constantly stresses, that constantly challenges. And it's a job that leads to an amazing world. You look back on and you say, how lucky am I to have worked at Apple and IBM and then at, at Symbiote and Chaotic and, you know, as Honest Dollar and now doing, you know, how blessed could I possibly be? Um, but although, you know, the public sees the results of that work, mm -hmm. they don't see all of the inner turmoil. Sure. You sure. know? Yeah. Uh, Whirly. Uh, or Will Hurley, for those who are curious. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you here. And uh, uh, yeah, really, really good. Well, Thank thanks you. for having me. I appreciate the opportunity, and hopefully we'll talk again. I hope so. In the next two episodes of 14 Minutes of SaaS, we'll be with Chris Weisepal, CTO and co-founder of Veracode, Shortly after the interview, Veracode, an application security platform, was acquired by Thomas Bravo for 950 million US dollars. You've been listening to 14 Minutes of SaaS. Thanks to Mike Quill for his creativity and problem-solving skills, and to Ketsu for the music. This episode was brought to you by me, Stephen Cummins, if you enjoyed the podcast, please don't forget to share it with your network, subscribe to the series, and give the show a rating.